Hello, everyone, and welcome to another uh, History 101 podcast session. It's great to be back on air. And if, in case any of you are wondering how come I wasn't on the air yesterday, well, let's just say that I had other things to attend uh, to, but I still managed to have time uh, yesterday and um, today to um, get ready for tonight's uh, presentation. Never hurts to be prepared in advance. So what are we going to be talking about? Well, for starters, we are still focusing on that um, wonderful book that I've been discussing, uh, Signing Their Lives Away, The Fame and Misfortune of the Men Who Signed the Declaration of Independence. We have talked about New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New York, and just the other day, about New Jersey. We are now on to our seventh colony, being none other than Pennsylvania. Now, I will say this. Uh, we are going to be talking about the first part of Pennsylvania um, in this podcast session, and hopefully the second part will be uh, tomorrow. How so? Well, for one, it turns out that there were nine uh, signers uh, or should I say nine men from Pennsylvania who signed the Declaration of Independence. Now, all nine of these men from Pennsylvania uh, were very unique um, figures. I also realized, too, that to talk about all nine of them would take um, quite a good period of time. So I decided to uh, talk about four, two tonight, and two for an upcoming podcast, like I said a moment ago, will hopefully be for tomorrow. But, um, and I'll get to those um, signers' um, names here soon. However, um, let's have a little geography um, quiz. Now, Pennsylvania is a big state. However, I don't believe it would be the same size as, say, California or Texas. But nonetheless, it, it's a big state. And, you know, in the um, colonial days, especially leading up to the American Revolution, or should I say at the time of the Declaration of Independence um, being um, officially um, established as the document that, um, or should I say, um, our birth certificate document stating our um, official independence, or should I say separation from England, Pennsylvania uh, you know, if you look at Pennsylvania on the map, uh, for starters, uh, to the southeast of, of that state lies Delaware. To the south lies Maryland. To the southwest lies West Virginia. Of course, in 1776, there was no West Virginia. It was still considered Virginia. To the west is Ohio, which was considered Virginia at one time. To the north is New York, and to the east, New Jersey. So it really is safe to say in modern-day times, Pennsylvania is surrounded by six states. And it is also surrounded by one of our five great lakes, being none other than Lake Erie, up in the northwest part of the state, right near um, Erie, Pennsylvania. And if you, you know, take... In the uh, southeastern part of uh, Pennsylvania, you have Philadelphia. To the far west, uh, Pittsburgh. To the northwest, Erie. 
And to the uh, center, you have uh, Harrisburg. Uh, north of Philadelphia, you have Scranton. So it is safe to say that Pennsylvania, no matter where you go, there are unique towns and uh, cities. If you take Philadelphia, for example, from a modern-day um, perspective, you, th you tend to think of uh, American Revolution, Declaration of Independence. But whereas, you, whereas, you, whereas Pittsburgh, you tend to think of more French and Indian War. And uh, believe it or not, um, Pittsburgh, of course, there is, Pittsburgh has not been established, obviously, by 1776, so I don't want to get ahead of things, but it is safe to point out that at one point in time, even after the American Revolution, when Pittsburgh was established, it was the westernmost uh, city slash town in uh, the new United States. And I, um, it doesn't come as a surprise that Pittsburgh would have uh, been given that unique uh, distinction. So uh, how does uh, Pennsylvania come into, um, into uh, be, being a colony? Well, in uh, 1631, the first, uh, between 1631 and 1638, you have the first group of uh, Europeans that come to uh, explore uh, what is known in today's time as the Keystone State. But in 1631, a group of Dutch settlers um, settled on what is known as that Delmarva Peninsula. And anybody know what Delmarva uh, really stands for? Delaware, Maryland, Virginia. A colony was established around the Delmarva Peninsula known as the Zwanendale Colony. It was on the site of present-day Lewis, Delaware. And Lewis is not spelled L-E-W-I-S, it's L-E-W-E-S. Seven years later, in 1638, Sweden establishes what is known as the New Sweden Colony on the site of present-day Wilmington, Delaware. Now, of course, I know I'm mentioning Delaware here when, when we're talking about Pennsylvania, but the thing is, is that, remember people, Delaware and Pennsylvania border each other. So it is very safe to say that when the Dutch and the Swedish established their, their settlements, they probably were establishing them in Pennsylvania but didn't realize that it was actually in today's time Delaware. But then again, when you're right on that borderline, I don't think you know any better. As long as you have something established, though, I guess that's a good thing. So, I also learned that uh, Pennsylvania was inhabited by multiple uh, Indian tribes. Not just in one area, but really around the state. And I can uh, name a few uh, Indian tribes that... Um, that uh, are worth sharing. I've mentioned already the Lenape, but they were present in Pennsylvania. Susquehannock. Hey, there's a river known as the Susquehanna River, so it's named after that Susquehannock tribe. The Patoon, Saponi, the Shawnee, Tutelo, Piscataway. And here's something uh, that's worth sharing. There is a city in New Jersey known as Piscataway which I had known for some time through my line of work in terms of uh, transportation. But I had no idea that, the, that Piscataway got its name from the Piscataway Indian tribe. 
And, of course, I've known about the Shawnees. Uh, they were a very uh, powerful Indian tribe whose presence was primarily um, widely known in um, Ohio and in um, Kentucky and even around, um, what is it, parts of northern Virginia as well as into the uh, northern end of Virginia's Shenandoah Valley, most notably around uh, present-day Winchester. Well, you know, we, as I've said before, it's, we've always been assumed that the English were the first to do everything in the New World, but I am being reminded that even the Dutch, um, depending on where you go in the New World, the Dutch have made their presence known, especially in Pennsylvania, even in uh, New Jersey and uh, New York. Well, Pennsylvania, as we know it today really um, has its true um, English um, significance in the year 1681. In February of 1681, especially on that date of February 28th, King Charles II grants a land charter to William Penn to repay a debt of about 16,000 pounds in 2008, um, historians were able to determine that this would have been the equivalent of about 2.1 million in um, in pounds around uh, 2008 time, around the time of 2008, I should say. The money holdings were owed to William's father, who was known as Admiral William Penn, and it turns out that this was one of the largest land grants to an individual in history. So King Charles II named the colony of Pennsylvania in honor of William Penn's father, uh, Admiral William Penn, and Pennsylvania means Penn's Woods. So um, who is William Penn? He is a writer as well as a member of the Religious Society of Friends known as the Quakers. He was born in 1644. And uh, he was an early advocate of democracy and religious freedom. You know, we've all been told that uh, Thomas Jefferson was the founding father for uh, the statutes on religious freedoms in Virginia, which is true. And while, yes, Thomas Jefferson um, had a very fundamental role in establishing uh, freedom of religion, it turns out that uh, William Penn actually was the first to... um, Uh, what do you call it, he was the first to uh, lay a foundation for um, religious freedom. He also became very successful at establishing good relations and successful treaties with the Lenape Indians. He even helped oversee the, the city of Philadelphia's planning and development. You know, Benjamin Franklin, um, was very, uh, crucial to, um, seeing that Philadelphia became a, uh, thriving hub, but William Penn also in his time did a lot of uh, notable, um, good notable work, I should say, in um, making Philadelphia what it was during the time that he was alive. He was an early supporter of colonial unification. He even created what was called the Pennsylvania Frame of Government, served as a guide, this uh, served as a guide for the signers who wrote the U.S. Constitution. So William Penn basically, 
even though he was not alive during the time that our um, forefathers came together to sign um, significant documents like the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution, William Penn seemed to be one step ahead of the game. And he himself should be credited for laying out uh, blueprints that we um, could have a way to go by when it came time to um, doing things like declaring independence from England to establishing a new government that replaced a, um, a controversial Articles of Confederation that was just no longer relevant. He did live to be 73 years of age when he passed away in 1718, and uh, to have lived to have been 73 at that time um, was definitely considered old age. Hard to think that he was alive, but yet died at a time when someone like Benjamin Franklin was only 12 years old, and George Washington himself was not even born. So... How many men from Pennsylvania signed the Declaration of Independence? I believe I said it earlier, and that answer was nine. Uh, those nine men who signed the document were John Morton, Mr. Benjamin Franklin, James Wilson, Robert Morris, George Clymer, George Ross, Benjamin Rush, George Taylor, and James Smith. And as I said earlier, it would take quite some time to talk about all nine signers, but if I had to pick four, which of those four would be worth sharing? Benjamin Franklin, George Clymer, Benjamin Rush, and George Taylor. So tonight we're going to talk about two of the four signers from Pennsylvania, and as mentioned earlier, we will talk about another, the other two um, from, in another uh, podcast session, which will hopefully be tomorrow. Let's keep our fingers crossed. But the two we're going to be talking about tonight are Benjamin Franklin and George Clymer. Well, ben- Benjamin Franklin, for starters, was born in 1706. And remember, people, King George III was not even alive in 1706. A queen is ruling uh, England. Her name is Queen Anne. So we're not saying God save the king at this time. We're saying God save the queen. Benjamin Franklin is the oldest of all of our forefathers. And true or false, is Benjamin Franklin, uh, does anybody know, rather, I should say, where Mr. Franklin um, hails from? The answer is not Philadelphia, but he's born in Boston, Massachusetts, which turns out to be the cradle uh, or the, the colony and the cap and the capital uh, in colonial days that serves as the cradle for uh, American independence. It turns out that Mr. Franklin is the youngest of 17 children. Now, can you imagine growing up in that household? 17 children. His father ran a candle-making shop. He really wanted his son, Ben, to follow in his footsteps But as that saying goes, uh, sometimes you can't force another generation into doing something that maybe just isn't for them. Well, it turns out that for Benjamin Franklin, working in the candle-making shop or uh, serving, or should I say, working in that profession just wasn't for him, okay? So if being in the candlesmith shop isn't suited to your um, desires, where do you go from there? Well, he apprenticed 
under his half-brother named James, whom young Benjamin Franklin has often uh, credited as saying that uh, his half-brother James was the one who helped shape his thinkings and actions. And I will uh, tell you that here in a moment. Ben Franklin sure did have quite a sense of humor. He could never resist cracking a joke as well as to tweaking those in power. John Adams himself often said that Franklin would could um, stir up a joke, sometimes even in the most sensitive of situations. Perhaps this was a good thing because it's one thing to work under stress, but during the time that the Declaration of Independence was being debated on, as well as uh, the Congressional, um, or what we call those First and Second Continental Congress meetings, sometimes all humor was needed to soothe the tension, to um, make people uh, realize that, okay, while well, yes, we have serious matters on our hands to deal with, perhaps a little humor is needed to make us all be under some form of less stress. Well, true or false, is Benjamin Franklin a writer? Oh, the answer is true. After publishing 14 essays in Massachusetts, he ends, up, he ends up going south to Philadelphia. He becomes so successful in Philadelphia to where he is able to print a newspaper known as the Pennsylvania Gazette and an annual. And if anybody knows what an annual means, that means something that gets published regularly on a yearly basis. This annual that he published or helped create still exists today. Poor Richard's Almanac, or what I should say, the Farmer's Almanac. Even in colonial times, farmers just could not get enough of the Farmer's Almanac because they craved to know what was out there that they could plant and always were striving to go about um, finding out what were the best farming practices. Well... Did Ben Franklin do a great deal to help Philadelphia? Yes, he did. He helped create the first American hospital, to the first library, to even the first volunteer fire department. He even helped establish and set up Penn University. He traveled throughout the colonies, aiming to improve the colonial mail system. Now think about this, people. You know, we don't have what is called uh, the Postal Service like we know it today. And in his day, we didn't have what was known as a first and or we call one and two day uh, priority um, shipping requests. But he is so popular, not just in colonial America, leading up to um, the uh, era of uh, hostilities, especially after the French and Indian War, but Benjamin Franklin is just so popular that in England, he is appointed Postmaster General by Parliament. Now, that's quite an honor. And who would have thought at the time that this um, appointment took place that, that um, things would get so bad down the road to where the opposite would be happening, or should I say taking place, and that is separation from England. Okay. What inventions do you think Ben Franklin was responsible for? He was responsible for inventions like the Franklin stove, the lightning rod to bifocals. Now think about it. All of us wear glasses. Of course, not all of us are wearing bifocals. 
But whenever we buy a buy what do you call it bifocal glasses, who do we have to thank? None other than Benjamin Franklin. And I think he'd be pleased to know just how far bifocal glasses have come since his time. Well, given that he is so um, widely popular, I mean, he's got to be obviously the most popular of all Americans. Does he live in Europe? Yes, he does. He lives there for nearly 30 years of his life. His time was split between England and France. Okay, here's a uh, trick question. Where was Ben Franklin residing when Parliament passed that infamous Stamp Act? He was residing none other than in England, and he was there in 1765 when it went into law. However, uh, he didn't just sit back and let Parliament um, dictate the show. He testified before the House of Commons to explain why colonists were in fierce opposition. And because of his testimony, he was hailed as a hero in the aftermath of Parliament's repealing of that infamous Stamp Act. He even wrote about colonies' views in British papers. In other words, he was allowed to uh, talk about what views um, the 13 colonies had, but he was also allowed to talk about why they were in opposition to such legislative measures as the Stamp Act, the Townshend duties. By the time he uh, comes home to uh, convene in the Continental Congress sessions, he is the oldest person. He's close to 70, but he's not quite there yet in 1775. He's 69 years old, and as mentioned earlier, he is by far the most famous of all Americans by this time. However, for all of his successful publishings for media outlets, would you say that he still is opposite of other delegates? Yes, it turns out that he rarely spoke in Congress. He was not much of an orator. I think it's safe to say that he and John Adams would have differed significantly right there. Think about it. John Adams loves to be at the center of attention. He loves to be up there arguing a great case. He loves to be a... He enjoys... What do you call it? He enjoys uh, devouring a good book and devouring not just any good book, but a book that could help pertain to an upcoming case. I'm not saying that Ben Franklin didn't enjoy that, but I think it might be best to say that John Adams was very detailed in more ways than, say, Ben Franklin was, especially when it came to being more of an orator. Well, what else can we say uh, is unique about Ben Franklin? Well, he was appointed to the Committee of Five, which drafted that famous Declaration of Independence document. So he was there with Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Roger Sherman, and Robert Livingston. What was Ben Franklin known for the Declaration of Independence, even though he was not its uh, chief author, like, like Thomas Jefferson was? Thomas Jefferson uh, obviously had multiple uh, drafts of the document, it wasn't all just done in one night. Thomas Jefferson had something else established as the um, introduction uh, phrase to the document. 
However, Ben Franklin was the one that changed it by saying this, we hold these truths to be self-evident. So we've been told for years that Thomas Jefferson actually wrote that first line. Nope, it was uh, Benjamin Franklin. Where else was he ambassador in Europe uh, besides uh, England? France. Okay. Who was responsible for helping get the French um, committed in uh, joining the uh, Americans in their uh, fight uh, against England? The French. How did this all come about? Well, he just didn't come over overnight. He had been there for a while. Uh, he had been meeting with uh, French diplomats. But it was the Americans' victory at Saratoga in September of 1777 that finally convinced the French to join us in defeating the British. After the American Revolution, he helped craft the U.S.-Britain Peace Accord known as the Treaty of Paris in 1783, which officially ended the war. He helped shape and sign our U.S. Constitution, and in 1790, he died at age 84. You talk about a very, um, a very true Renaissance man, just like Thomas Jefferson was. Ben Franklin um, lived life to the fullest, and the fact that he was 81 in, eight, in 1787 when the Constitution was signed, but to think that he still managed to um, live to see George Washington become our uh, first president, and he lived long enough to actually see our government come into existence. So, nonetheless, a very fulfilled life, knowing that he was the first of our forefathers to, to be born, but yet he lived long enough to see so many um, great things happen with our country as a result of declaring independence from England. Our second signer we'll be talking about in part one of Pennsylvania tonight is uh, George Clymer. Mr. Clymer was born in 1739. He was the son of a sea captain. Sadly, he was orphaned at an early age. And remember, people, uh, there, there were many people in this time, or should I say people who, at, for, at, when they were children, who sadly did lose both of their parents at a young age. We must remember that life expectancy wasn't uh, high in 18th century times. So if anyone lived to be somewhere close to 50 years old, they had lived a long life. So as for Mr. Clymer, he was raised by an aunt and uncle. Mr. Clymer's uncle was a wealthy merchant, and what do you know, George Clymer himself followed in that same profession. Is it safe to say that George Clymer was a true ardent patriot even before the Declaration of Independence was officially signed in 1776? The answer is yes. He was clearly in favor of separating from, Eng from England as early as 1773, the same year that the Boston Tea Party incidents came about. Matter of fact, he, Mr. Clymer himself chaired a board that organized a Philadelphia Tea Party. He served as a captain in the Corps of Volunteer Troops 
whom were known as silk stockings. They were members from well-heeled families. They used military force to get local merchants to stop selling British tea. Well, uh, let me ask you this. Um, what were what were Mr. Clymer's uh, successful talents? Well, in order to um, have any kind of a positive role that uh, can help us um, defeat the mightiest empire in the world, Mr. Clymer uh, was a successful fundraiser who raised money for military supplies that ranged from corn flour, gunpowder, to tenting materials. And he backed the war by exchanging some of his own gold and silver for continental currency, which, I hate to admit this, uh, continental currency did not have the same kind of value as gold and silver. But at the same time, money is a scarcity. And to exchange your own gold and silver, now that's making a huge sacrifice. Not many um, men uh, who could afford gold and silver, would have been willing to um, fork it up. But at a time of crisis and uncertainty, sometimes you do have to, um, what do you call it, like sell things off to um, not only better better yourself, but perhaps to better a community, or in this case to better um, a continental army. He served as a continental treasurer from 1775 to 1776. And here's the thing uh, about Pennsylvania we should know. Pennsylvania, um, its delegates were very, um, they were very hesitant to want to declare their independence from England. Uh, Most notably, uh, Mr. John Dickinson. Now, I mentioned his name from a previous podcast And I had thought that he was originally a signer of the Declaration of Independence. I was wrong. He he wasn't. So um, I learned something new, and I'm glad that I did, because um, just because a delegate was uh, present at this um, gathering, it didn't automatically mean that they wanted to go about uh, signing the document or even wanting to go forward with independence. Pennsylvania ends up um, getting a whole new uh, slew of delegates at the very last minute. And so Mr. Dickinson, long story short, um, does not sign the document. He uh, goes back to Pennsylvania, um, basically um, maintaining um, ties to um, England. So um, George Clymer is one of five new Pennsylvania delegates who come to Philadelphia after the July 2nd vote. That is the vote that is the motion to approve the document. George Clymer and the other men who come are very staunch patriots. It's a good thing George Clymer came because it's very evident to say that we knew where his loyalties lied even before 1776, and that was clearly in the hands of... um, the Patriot side. Well, how does George Clymer bring his uh, talents into play? He serves on various congressional committees. He helped deal with food shortages in Philadelphia during the war, most notably, and he came up with strategies on handling POWs. 
What is a POW? A prisoner of war. Who, which group was probably the most famous of, of POWs in 1776? Or should I say, at the end of 1776 going into 1777? The answer is the Hessians. And I mentioned them from the previous podcast and how um, they were connected with that Battle of Trenton, which saved the Continental Army, not only saved George Washington's Continental Army, but helped restore morale to the fight for independence. Well, the Hessians obviously had surrendered at Trenton, Trenton, about anywhere from 900 to 1,000 of them, but nonetheless, George Clymer was able to uh, find a way to um, handle that situation um, so that... um, our people would not have been harmed, and as well as uh, the Hessians would be able to go somewhere without being uh, physically harmed by, um, by uh, what do you call it, uh, innocent by civilians. Mr. Clymer served on a prestigious committee that helped draft the U.S. Constitution, and he belongs to an elite group of signers, which signed not only the Declaration of Independence but the U.S. Constitution. He falls into that same group of signers like um, Roger Sherman of Connecticut, George Reed of Delaware, Benjamin Franklin, Robert Morris, and James Wilson, all of Pennsylvania. By the end of the 18th century, Mr. Clymer helps bail out Penn University from potential bankruptcy. So if it weren't for uh, George Clymer right there, Penn University probably might have gone under and would not be in existence today. He dies in 1813 at age 74, and he is buried in Trenton, New Jersey. How ironic that he's buried there, knowing that that's also the battle that saved um, the Continental Army, not just the Continental Army, but saved the cause for independence. It kept it from being extinguished. He's buried there, but his gravestone doesn't mention his signing the Declaration of Independence. But remember this too, people. Our forefathers made a huge sacrifice. Sure, they would have been okay with recognition, but for for many of them, being recognized in this case was probably not a good thing because it wasn't like they could just go home and continued to live a normal life without any uh, possible, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, or any, what should I say, potential uh, would-be threats from people uh, within the community. Because remember, no matter where you live, there was always going to be those who were in support of your um, efforts and those who were against. Um so it, it's it's just one of those things that, uh, on one hand, it might have been a good thing that Mr. Clymer did not mention his signing of the Declaration of Independence. He simply wanted to be remembered as someone who uh, was an ordinary person who um, represented uh, a lot of good for the common people. But he did um, lay it all on the line in not just signing the document, but by uh, bringing his talents uh, to the Continental Congress. And as I've said before, all of our signers, or we call it 56 signers who signed the document, brought something to the table, big and small, and did it so in a manner where everything that was of um, extreme difference was worked out 
And in the end, a document was uh, published and signed that um, declared our independence from England. Well, that's going to wrap it up for tonight of uh, part one of two for Pennsylvania, but uh, we will be back on the air here uh, hopefully tomorrow to talk about our other two signers being Benjamin Rush and um, and, and our other signer being none other than uh, George uh, Taylor. Thank you and uh, take care.